0: Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden, where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Okay, as I said earlier, I am both the sound man and the speaker today, so uh, normally I get very nervous speaking, but who has time for that today? (laughs) Okay, well, that's good. (laughs) Today's lesson is the Garden of Eden. And I chose this subject, this topic, because, this allegory, because um, I think it merits a very close look. And uh, it is an attempt, after all, to explain how things came to be. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I have. And I'm a philosophy major, and and, uh, and sometimes it's like... (sighs) How did everything come to be? What's the deal? So there are two fundamental questions philosophy asks. Where, who are we, and where did we come from? So this is what uh, the Garden of Eden is trying to explain right now. And uh, the author, and again, going back to my uh, Bible uh, lesson, we don't know really who the author was, but it doesn't matter. They were trying to address these two questions by describing, one, our true nature as spiritual man in the first creation that is found in Genesis 1.27. And two, the beginning of the human race, of a physical man uh, created from the dust of the earth, found in Genesis 2.7. Uh, excuse me, professor. Yes, astute student. Are you trying to say there are two creation stories in the Bible? I'm not trying to say that, student. I am saying that. Well, see, I didn't know this. In case you didn't know, I didn't know this either. before I came to Unity. I was brought up a Catholic, and we just, they don't teach us stuff like this, really. But there they are. Go read it. It's there. There's two creation stories. So after the last time I gave my uh, lesson, I thought, what am I going to talk about next time? And the Garden of Eden popped into my mind. I said, that sounds like a fascinating subject, but what am I going to say? And at at about that time, I started getting some emails, and some of the other guys that listen to this blog also, we'll talk about that some more, Uh, about the Garden of Eden. I said, well, somebody's trying to talk to me or something. And then I heard one day the song Woodstock. I don't know if you remember the song Woodstock, but I was on the radio and I I was listening to it. And this is what the chorus says. The chorus says, we are stardust, we are golden, we are billion-year-old carbon, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. And I said, what a fascinating line. Who wrote this song? I called my daughter because my daughter's a music person, she loves it. And I told her, who, who wrote this song? I thought maybe it was Stephen Stills. I, I, that's the first thing that came to my mind of the groups, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. No, it was Joni Mitchell. I said, well, that explains it. A classic American poet from the 60s. It's a Joni Mitchell song. Anyway, as the president of the board here at uh, of you know, the Valley, I do have a concern. Uh, we're trying to bring more people in, and, and I always want to. Um, I always wonder, if it's the first time you're here, what are you going to hear? The first time I came here, I heard Michael. And I said, i got to hear more of this stuff. So that's my challenge today, to present a lesson that's interesting and informative. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break it up into three parts. The first part has to do with the traditional approach, the traditional interpretation. The second is with a unity perspective, but basically from the late 1800s uh, Yeah, early 1900s. And then the third was something a little more current, where we're putting more emphasis on the words that we pick and stuff to reflect where we are as a race consciousness at this point. So let's start with a tradition. I want you to close your eyes for just one second and think, what comes to your mind when you see the Garden of Eden? And I can pretty much tell you what does. Look in the front of your flyer. That's it, right? I mean, peep, man, woman, animals, garden, the whole thing. This is what comes to your mind. In in other words, a, a literal place. The vast majority of Christians see the Garden of Eden as a literal place. This is called embedded theology. It is the race consciousness, the collective consciousness, whereby if I say a word or a concept, something comes to your mind. And not to your mind only, but to my mind, and to her mind, and to his mind. Because we've, why? Because we've accepted it. It is called collective consciousness. Now, let's see what happened in this old story. Adam and Eve were in perfect state of being, all was good. And they they told, you can do anything you want. You can have anything you want except this one thing. You cannot eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, what happens when you tell somebody not to do something? They did it? Well, of course they did it. You know, and they were told, for surely you will die. Did they die? No, they didn't die. But did things change? Yes, things changed. And now all of a sudden, the Bible says, they felt naked and they felt ashamed. They tried to hide from God. Metaphysically, what happened was they accepted dualism. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a a second. So tradition tells us that they disobeyed God and were cast out of the garden. They were lost. They fell out of grace. But it gets worse because it's not just about them. We all fell out of grace, evidently, even though we didn't do anything, according to the old story. That's what I say. Hey, I didn't cause this problem. (laughs) <laughs> why, am I, I mean, why do I have original sin? What's up with that? You know, so, um, so this is what I'd like to say about the metaphysical interpretation versus the literal interpretation. You see, if, if the Bible is literal, then it is a story about some people, like in this case, Adam and Eve. But if it's allegory, then it becomes a story about all people. And to me, that makes a lot more sense. So what what this is saying here basically is not so much that they did that; it's that we all did it. We all chose to eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. So tradition tells us the problem is that we are separate from God and we are a sin. So what's the solution according to tradition? It is to wait for a savior to come along. And, and um, it's said that that God had a ransom. And so there had to be a human sacrifice involved. Well, actually, a human slash divine sacrifice. And for some people like me, this is a very troubling, very troubling idea. Because it tells you first that God was mad. And then it tells you something even more complicated, that God needed something. And as a philosopher, I said, like, wait a minute. Now, if God needs something, then by definition... He's somehow not complete. He's less than perfect because he needs something. We're the ones who need stuff, not God. So something is wrong with this. It doesn't make any sense to say that God is incomplete. But what does make sense is this, is that sacrificial offerings was the race consciousness, was the mindset at the time. So this is what they picked up on, and that's what they use, And that's how that story came to be. So if you look at it, if you study a little bit, you know, with Zoroasterism, which was the common uh, theology of the time, then you see, well, that's where they picked it up. And then, in any case, theologians still must find a way to explain apparent suffering and apparent, uh, the less than apparent perfect condition of mankind. So enough about the tradition. Let's shift now to the unity new thought idea. The same thing, the Garden of Eden. What is the first thing unity tells us about the Garden of Eden or the whole concept? The first thing is that we are not separate from God. This is very strange for traditional understanding. It says we're not, we're not separate from God. And the reason why is because such a thing is not fundamentally possible. Why? <laughs> because we are created in God's image and likeness. At the core, we are spiritual beings, and we cannot not be that ever, not now or ever. So the concept of being separated from God for a unity student doesn't really make any sense. We like to say that God is everywhere present. We say that at the end of when we do our our protection prayer. And when I was doing this, so let me ask you this. If God is everywhere, then how can you be separate from it? How is such a thing possible? When I was doing this, something came across my mind. I said, where did I see that God is everywhere and all this kind of stuff? And I said, let me look it up. Psalm 139. Have you ever read Psalm 139? It's a little lengthy. I don't want to read it all, but it says this. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Now, I don't want to rattle cages or anything, but, you know, there's people who believe in a literal hell. And if that's true, then I need one of them to please explain how it is that God can be in hell. What sense does that make? If you're a serious student of this stuff, it's like, wow, it doesn't make any sense at all. The second major thing that unity tells us about the garden is that it it is not a place. It is a state of consciousness. This is what Revealing Word says. The Garden of Eden represents a region of being in which all primal ideas for the production of the beautiful, the elemental life, and intelligence placed at the disposal of man, through which he is to evolve. Man's body temple is the outer expression of the Garden of Eden. The metaphysics book from Unity says this. The Garden of Eden is the state in, of consciousness where all possibilities of growth reside. It is the realm from which we express divine ideas from divine mind by utilizing the power of divine order. And that is mind-idea expression. So let's review that idea, mind-idea Expression, Because it is not only our trinity, basically. It is our explanation of how things came to be. First, there is mine. Mine would be divine source. Mine would be, if you read the biblical uh, scripture, mine would be that which was creating in the first place. You know, that source. So, idea then would represent the first creation. Because the first creation is the creation of man, of the idea of man. It is the Christ. It is the only son. And I said, finally, somebody... Because did anybody ever wonder how it is that God can only have one son? When you were in tradition, did you ever kind of like... Well, who are the rest of us? Again, back to the problem. I didn't cause that problem. And if if God only has one son, who am I? Who are you? How does this work? So... Unity tells us that the Son, that yes, God only has one Son because God only has one idea of man, the perfect man. That is the Son. I said, This is beautiful stuff. I like it. Charles Fillmore says, God only creates in spirit. So you see, the mind, the source, and the idea, the first creation, you can see that. It is The first creation is created in the image and likeness of God because mind and idea are a bit similar in that respect. They're both abstractions. They're both in the abstract world. So there's your mind creating in its image and its likeness. It creates the idea. But then we have the expression of the idea. This is the second creation. And the second creation is from the dust. It is the idea Now seeking form. That's what's happening here. This is the kind of teachings at Unity that really, really catch my attention. Because it's not some far-fetched, convoluted theory about how things are. If you think about it, this is exactly how we are. And if we're created like God, then maybe God's the same way. Because I have a mind, and I have ideas, and I seek to express those ideas. I think... I want to go to San Antonio. Ah, idea. What do I do? I want to go see the Spurs. I get on the phone. I get a computer. I buy tickets. I go through the process. I express the idea. So this is not a strange thing at all. here's, Here's the thing, though. Mind, idea, and expression are not separate. This is very important. They are not separately. They are part of the one. We are a threefold nature. Now, listen to what this says. This says, In thinking of ourselves, we must not separate spirit, soul, and body, but rather hold it all as one. If we would be strong and powerful, do you know where that came from? H. Emily Cady, Lessons in Truth. So that's the very important thing. On the way over here, I've been studying the great courses, and I was listening to Paul and they're talking about this radical dualism about how material is evil. The whole world, evil, is just evil," the said. But it's all part of the same thing, whatever. So it is natural for mind to have ideas, and it is equally natural for ideas to seek expression. The Garden of Eden is a state of consciousness that has always been, and it always will be. So what's up with the mess? Thank you once again, astute student. And thank you for that perfect timing. Yeah, what is up with the mess? Why do we see what we see? New Thought says this. It is simply because we have free will, we have creative power, and we have choices. We are co-creators with God. So even though we are not separate from God, this is what we teach at Unity. It is possible because we have the ability, the freedom to believe that we are. And because we are creative beings, we believe that we are, and guess what? It looks like we are, even though we're not. So this is the race consciousness creating all this stuff. Let me give you a little short uh, analogy about what we can create if you get enough together. Because... It's very possible, maybe a little tricky, but very possible for you to create a small little tool shed in the back of your house by yourself. Even that would be a little challenge, but you could probably pull it off. But you think you could create a skyscraper by yourself? No, it takes a lot of people to do that. So what we've done, basically, now you're not going to believe this, but I brought the metaphysics book, chapter 11, it's called The Physical Universe, The Spiritual Universe. It says, divine mind did not create the physical universe. Yikes. <laughs> uh, and that sounds a little odd, but it goes back to the, uh, to, uh, we have this creative ability to make things. So, going back to the Garden of Eden, now enter the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, did did Adam and Eve really eat an apple? Hmm. Was it really a, a, a a race between a hare and a tortoise? No, that's not the point. That is not the point. They chose to have a 3D dualistic experience, and as I said before, not only did they choose it, what is telling us that we all chose it. That's the situation. That's part of being a creative power and having free will and choices. In the Gospel of in the lost Gospel of Thomas, when uh, so what happens, let me tell you, okay, we made, we were in one and we made it two. That's what dualism means. In the lost gospel of Thomas, one of the disciples asks Jesus, Master, when will we see the kingdom? He says, when you make the two one. That's what it says. So there it is. Rumi, the, Su- the Sufi poet Rumi says, beyond good and evil, there is a field. I will meet you there. The revealing word says about the tree, indicates a dual state of consciousness, a belief in both good and evil, which eventually drives a man out of the garden. More about that in a moment. But just to clarify, see, it's not a tree of good and evil. It is an entire realm. It is the manifest realm that's dualistic. This is very odd that we chose dualism. We chose it and we became so captivated. This is the story. So enamored by it that we lost who we are. Sons of the Most High. We lost that. We didn't- I'm sorry. I have to correct myself. See, here are these words. We didn't lose it. We kind of just kind of forgot about it, if you will. That'd be the more it'd be more accurate to put it that way, I think, wouldn't it, (laughs) Mike? So here. Here's another take on this. It says, sense-based perception is the source of our shift to dualism. Because we have two sources of input. We have the one inside, the divine, and we have the one outside, the world of the senses. And we got so caught up in that that we bought into it and we lost this one. And that's, that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to refocus, not to eliminate necessarily that one but at least put it in balance so you know this is primary. This is secondary, if you will. So, now let's shift our consciousness to the 21st century. It is still unity, but like anything else, we have to keep tweaking this. Tweaking is an electronic term for adjusting. That's all. (laughs) New science, I love new science, physics, quantum physics. It tells us a very strange thing. It tells us everything is everywhere all the time science is telling us this the only difference then everything is everywhere all the time the only difference is where is our focus where is our consciousness and that becomes our reality there's a This is the part three about it. There's a new emphasis on being more careful about words, the words that we choose, because in Unity we teach that words have power, and they have a certain, something that comes with them, a baggage type of a thing that comes with them, so we're trying to be more conscious of that. The New Metaphysics book has an entire little chapter, an introduction chapter about words, and it says, when we use this old language, we are keeping one foot rooted in the old theology, while trying to gain traction in the new. Updated language will inevitably shift consciousness to new heights of understanding. So again, we have to be conscious of our, the words that we choose. Earlier I said that when I started putting the lesson together, I started getting these emails. And I went on from this do, uh, Reverend Doug. Batorf. how do you pronounce his name? Batorf? Yeah. He says, he says this guy this had been unity for 30 years. This is a very interesting idea, he says. He says this. The human species is not evolving to a higher spiritual state. You see, even Fillmore, genius he was, was still stuck on the idea of evolving. He says, we are already in full possession of the spiritual. From the spiritual base, we have evolved. Oops, he caught himself there. Old old habits die hard. (laughs) The faculty of imagination whose function is to allow us to evolve perpetually from a within-out basis. That is interesting. He also says this. Our so-called fall is not a fall in the sense that the human race has lost something precious that it once possessed. Union with God. He's saying we, we didn't lose that as we've been told by tradition. What we have lost is our conscious union with God. That's difference. We're not in the process of evolving a faculty that will allow us to regain this conscious union with God. We never lost that faculty. So this emphasis, and you can see that when you say you went, you fell from grace, it implies that you went down somehow, that you lost something, that you went to a lower state of being. We didn't do that. That's what the language kind of makes us think. But that's not what happened. That is not what happened at all. So, I don't want to belabor it, the point, but the other thing is that we're returning to the garden. And I purposely said that earlier, that we are returning to something. We're not returning to anything. We're already that, and that is ever-evolving so, But in all fairness, there is an unfoldment. I think we talked about that a little bit, right, Michael? There, in the 3D experience, there seems to be an unfold, unfolding of things. And this is something very interesting that I came across. And I found it fascinating because it kind of put things in perspective for me regarding this 3D experience and the creation, if you will. I thought it was a little bit odd at first, but I thought, well, no, okay, hit me up with it. See, in, the, in my 3D experience, there was a time when I was single. And then there was a time when I was married. And then there was a time when I was married and had a son. And then there was a time when I was married had a son and a daughter. See, it happened like in a sequential thing. This is the point about that. This is a very interesting and somewhat profound thought about the creation, and it is this. That is not what happened in the biblical creation. You see, there was never a time when mind didn't have idea. And there was never a time when idea did not seek expression. Those are 3D experiences, and we, we use that. The author of, of, of the Garden of Eden, of Genesis, is trying to just give us some kind of a relative understanding of how things came to be. But what did I say earlier that physics is telling us now? Everything has always been and always will be. Always. So it didn't happen in this sense. So that kind of throws you off a little bit, unless you're a really astute student, like the guy in the back over there that keeps interrupting me, that guy, (laughs) you know. But anyway, I want to leave you with this final thought, because for some time now, I have been fascinated with the concept of heaven on earth. I said, what an idea. It's It's in the Lord's Prayer. Why would the master Jesus include that in the Lord's prayer? Heaven on earth. So I ask the question, is such a thing possible? And the answer is not only is it possible, it is our duty to bring heaven to earth. We are God's representatives here. We are God's representatives here. I just told you at the end of Genesis 2, if you read Genesis 2 at the end, everything was created, everything. The manifest world, Man, woman, animals, whatever—the entire everything was fully created, and all was good, until we picked that we want to play in the dualistic world idea, and that's what happened. So I want to again. I want to say my lesson for today is that heaven on earth is the Garden of Eden, and it is everywhere. It is here, and it is now. The only question, like I said before, about your focus. Can you see it? It's right there. Can you see it? Next time you see a beautiful sunset or hear a beautiful song or experience a feeling of love or compassion or harmony or anything that has to do with what we associate with the fruits of the spirit, stop, be in that moment and say to yourself, take a deep breath and say to yourself, I just saw heaven and earth. I just saw the garden, amen.